Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Fantasy Foresight. If you play fantasy football, you need the Fantasy Foresight podcast on your roster. And be sure to check out That's Gold with Steve Heitner. That's right, Jerry Seinfeld's nemesis, the man who played Kenny Banya, has his own podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she was falling asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard, and they told me that uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? You know, I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You can't, you can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't even show them on TV. <laughs> Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Primetime with Sean Mooney. A lot happening in the world of PTSM coming off an episode with Santino Morella. That's some of a gun. Man, was that fun. Who didn't love Santino? I mean, come on. And he was and is genuinely funny. And we really had a great conversation. Uh, we learned a lot, a lot of stuff behind the scenes, what went on and how he ended up uh, getting the opportunity to become Santino. Uh, it all started in Italy, and uh, I mean, an amazing guy. He basically taught himself Italian. His parents, or his father was Italian, or is Italian, I should say. And, um, you know, he had been around uh, a, a neighborhood that had all of these different nationalities. But, you know, he goes over to Italy and, uh, you know, gets through uh, that that uh, basic audition, and look what it turned into. And then, you know, he admits that he actually took time to – Learn Italian. So we've got a lot. Uh, that was just <laughs> something else to talk to him. Uh, enjoyed it so much with uh, Anthony Corelli is uh, his name. But uh, we all love him as Santino Morella. Uh, this week, no exception. Every week we bring you another great episode. Uh, this week we've got uh, really the historian of professional wrestling. Uh, he is certainly, uh, there may be many out there, but uh, he is very, very well known for uh, being involved in professional wrestling from very early on and uh, chronicling it all. If you uh, are old enough to remember the the heyday of wrestling magazines, Bill Apter uh, played a major role in bringing those to the newsstands every week. He's our guest this week. He has a million stories. Uh, a lot of it drawn from his book, Is Wrestling Fixed? I Didn't Know It Was Broken. And uh, we're going to be talking to Bill uh, coming up. But as I mentioned, a lot happening in the world of PTSM. Uh, we've got our big watch along, our second one coming up this Sunday, November 11th. And uh, you can be a part of it. Uh, we uh, had our, our first one a while back and uh, we learned a lot from it and everybody seemed to enjoy it. So we're going to do another one. Uh, this one, uh, by your vote, we did a poll and everybody selected uh, Coliseum Videos Super Tape 1. And uh, there's uh, some great matches on that, including uh, one with Hulk Hogan and, and uh, so many others. And if you were a part of it the first time, you'll remember that 
this is a live interaction throughout this whole watch along. You get to ask me questions as we go along. And then uh, when it's over, uh, we open it up to everybody and you can actually come on the screen with me and have a live interaction. We can go back and forth. And that was a lot of fun. I uh, gave away a lot of prizes. I will certainly do that again. And we've got an idea that our, our producer, Casey Jerome Beck, had about uh, possibly doing some play-by-play during these matches. I'm willing to give it a shot if you are. Uh, but uh, you have to sign up to be a part of it. And you can do that very easily by going to, listen to this, primetimemooneylive.com. Very easy. Primetimemooneylive.com. And be sure and join us this Sunday. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I believe we're doing it again, uh, same time we did last uh, last uh, time out uh, from uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. And so uh, get to it. Join us. Now, also, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention I have got an appearance coming up uh, Thanksgiving week, um, and it's a big one. Uh, Winston-Salem has this uh, great event happening Thanksgiving week. It is WrestleCade. And uh, that has turned into, uh, you know, quite, quite the uh, wrestling event. And it's taking place, uh, at least I'll be there. It's at a whole weekend. But I will be there on Saturday, November 24th at the uh, Benton Convention Center from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. that afternoon. And I'd love to see you. I'll be there for, uh, you know, do some pictures with you, uh, do some signings. So if you're in the area, please, please come to WrestleCade. And man, I don't know if you've seen the lineup. Just go to the website, uh, WrestleCade.com, of course, to get tickets in advance and make sure that you uh, get tickets to come and see me. But uh, I was looking at the lineup, and man, they, they have a, a tremendous lineup of talent that's going to be there. We had uh, Edge on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's going to be there. I just saw that uh, Gene Okerlund's going to be there, a lot of my – my old friends. So if you get a chance to be a part of WrestleCade, I'd love to see you go to WrestleCade.com. It's happening November 24th at the Benton Collis, uh, Benton Convention Center, I should say, in Winston-Salem. Okay. Uh, we will have a few more announcements on the way out. But right now, let's get to Bill Apter. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, this week, we welcome a very special guest to PTSM, uh, who you uh, may have not... Uh, let me start this again. I, I probably should say the name of the show on it, okay? So here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. This week, we welcome a very special guest to PTSM, who may not have made his career inside the squared circle, as we like to refer to it, although he was dragged into the ring on several occasions. Uh, nonetheless, he is a big part of the history of professional wrestling, having chronicled some of the greatest moments that have ever happened in the ring. Bill Apter, thank you so much for coming on Primetime. How are you? Well, I'm great, and thank you for uh, for inviting me on. I remember when we saw each other at uh, StarCast. We hadn't yeah. seen each other for a long time, and uh, you said one day you'd love to have me on the podcast, and I'm I'm really glad to be part of this. Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, I started listening to the CD you gave me right when I left, and I've been li listening ever since, and I just finished it up. It's, uh, what is it, 147 hours, I think, of memories? Something like that. No, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it is the audible version of my book, Is Wrestling Fixed? I yes. didn't know it was broken. And, uh, yeah, it's about nine hours. Yeah, and, it, and folks, I'm going to be talking a lot about this as we continue on with our conversation here, but it... Uh, the book is Wrestling Fixed, and uh, I didn't know it was broken by Bill Apter. Uh, Bill, I have a confession to make. 
Um, you know, n- not that I didn't know. Uh, well, wait, wait. Confession yes. is good to the soul. So yes. go ahead. Yes, Father, for I have yeah. sinned. No, but um, really, I have to make a confession here because not that I didn't know how much you were involved over the years with professional wrestling, but I'm telling you, I had no idea uh, your connection to it all until I, I listened to the, to the CD that you gave me and I had it in my car and I've you know been listening, but I also, you sent me the book and uh, so I've been able to fill in between. I've kind of been doing both and it is a fascinating chronicle. I mean, not only, uh, like I said, you, you've, you've uh, marked these events, not only through f- uh, photographs and also your writing, but really you're a historian. And, and folks, I'm telling you, uh, if you want to get a really great picture with some, uh, and I, I mean literal, literally pictures, but I mean a good picture of the, of the period of, of wrestling in its prime before it, it took off with the WWF and, and during those years and beyond, uh, you have got to get a copy of this because I just I couldn't put it down once I started uh, Thank you, reading Sean. all and, the stories. And and what I like to tell people is when you're reading the book or you're listening to the uh, uh, to the audible version is that yeah. it's just like Uncle Bill sitting on the couch and telling stories. Isn't it's not in any chronological order. It's just a collection of me sitting there and telling stories. Yeah, and I and that's exactly the way this thing reads. It it uh, you know it isn't in chronicle order here this year this happened and then you know this it's it's it is it's just like sitting down and having a conversation about uh your career and all the experiences you had in may there was only one negative comment from all the it's been out three years jim Cornette was the only one he says bill after his book sucks because he doesn't bury anybody yeah well, I can't believe that Jim Cornette was was a negative about made a negative comment. That's loved, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> if you're looking for a book that buries people, you won't find it in in my book. Yeah. Well, I, I'm telling you, uh, uh, Jim Cornette is uh, he, he one of the most entertaining human beings on the planet in in the world of professional wrestling. I, I'm sure he's not alone in in loving this book, but. Um, you know, let, let's start from the beginning, in a sense, because I was fascinated by, I, 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 I guess you can say it was happen, happenstance or, 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 or a, you know, a lining of the stars or something, but it was kind of an accident how this all happened, and, and, and uh, your union with Stanley Weston. Yes, Stanley Weston was the, uh, uh, the original publisher of the original Wrestling Review, and I picked up the first issue in 1959 when my dad and I would go to the matches at Sunnyside Garden in Queens. And uh, there was a man uh, who had a box there in the lobby of the arena, and he was selling this wrestling magazine. And I begged my father for 50 cents, and uh, he said, okay. And uh, I bought that magazine, and that was my first connection with a wrestling magazine, and little did I know um, that I was kind of holding my future in my hands there. And uh, many years later, of course, I got to uh, meet Stanley Weston and eventually uh, um, got to work for him. So, yeah, it, it was it was very unusual way to uh, um, to meet the person who inspired you. And uh, here I am, fifty yeah. years later, still in the business. Yeah, yeah, and and, and ending up working for him. 
Um, yes. I, I remember as, as a kid, you know, you'd go to the uh, grocery store and you would see these magazines and they always had these incredible photos, you know, the guys with the juice all over them. And, you know, I mean, and just being fa- fascinating, it was like you want to, you couldn't help but want to grab the copy. And, you know, and your mom's like, no, put that back. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. But, well, his, but his philosophy was, you know, yeah. the juice or the blood yeah. uh, was that uh, blood and sex sell. And that's yeah. why, the, but that was after his wrestling review days. Wrestling review uh, was more like the uh, incarnation of what Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, became in 1979. Wrestling Review was that classy magazine that generally had one or two people on the cover with a great photo and pinups in the center. Full. I used, my whole room when I lived with my parents in Queens was decorated with half-naked men in bathing suits. So my <laughs> friends wondered about me back yeah. then. But my favorite wrestlers, Buddy Rogers, Antonino Rocca, uh, the fabulous Kangaroos, they were all on my wall. And uh, it, it was it was just great. It was, but when he started the wrestler and inside wrestling, he uh, ad- adapted more to the uh, the National Enquirer type of um, publishing, where everything was sensationalism, and that's yeah. where the blood and the sex came in. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know now we see the, the the network, and there's all kinds of uh, you know wrestling websites and blogs. Uh, Tell us about what magazines meant to wrestling fans back in the day. That was how they they got their information, how they found out about what was happening. How big oh, yeah. were magazines and their impact on wrestling back then? Well, they were huge because the magazines were the Internet before there was Internet. Uh, I can't tell you how many uh, emails I get even to this day with people that said when I was growing up, I knew about different wrestlers from reading the magazines that you worked for. Uh, it was huge. People would tell me, just like you, that they would wait. They couldn't wait until the magazines came out uh, to get them. And there was a lead time there. For example, if there was a title change uh, in January in the magazines, you wouldn't know about it until March or April because of the, the publishing deadlines and the time it took to print it. But even wrestlers, like I remember uh, the wrestler Paul Jones, Broadway Paul Jones, when he was wrestling in Florida, they booked him at Madison Square Garden. And same thing with Jack Briscoe. And they both came over to me and they said, fans knew who we were because we were in the magazines. So, yeah, for wrestling fans, those magazines were the Bible. They were the magazines that told them what was happening everywhere in all the territories, not just where they lived. Yeah. And, and, and Weston had, I think with the, the wrestler or an inside wrestling. Um, but how many, uh, before uh, pro wrestling illustrated came along, that, that was kind of the next, uh, transition there, but how many magazines really that I'm sure there was a number of them that really stood out that people, uh, followed, you know, that were religiously, you know, picking okay. up every time they came sure. out. So wrestler inside wrestling, pro wrestling illustrated, and then uh, the the uh, annuals and the yearbooks, and then there was as you uh, heard on the um, Audible uh, CD and in my book, mm-hmm. uh, Sports Review Wrestling, uh, we started running a feature called Apartment Wrestling. Yeah, and you wouldn't believe the reaction to this. Uh, one of our photographers 
out in Los Angeles, a very famous photographer, paparazzi photographer, Theo Eret, one time sent Stanley Weston this, these photographs of these beautiful girls in bikinis making like they were wrestling. Yeah, I can't and believe I that up, sold, uh, Bill. It's amazing that uh, that would actually well, work. Well, it, it, it was it was easy for the for the sell there because uh, the parents would say, "Why are you bringing this magazine in the house?" And well, yeah. uh, look, it's got Bruno San Martino and Chief yeah. J. Strongbow on the cover, right? Um, but they would buy that, and there were dedicated fans of apartment wrestling. Those Sports Review wrestling magazines and the battling. Girls specials that came mm-hmm. uh, off after them were like huge sellers. What it did do, though, it damaged me, my career, in uh, almost uh, some ways. Because uh, I remember when Chief J. Strongbow would come over to me and he said, you have my picture on the cover with those uh, half-naked girls. Uh, I don't want to be in that magazine with those girls. I can't take this magazine at home. Uh, Vince McMahon Sr. was also very much against it. And I'd go back to Stanley Weston, and I have to do my Weston imitation. And I'd say, this is killing us. They don't want us out there. We're making money. We're a publishing company. They can go and do whatever they want. I'm not canceling this magazine. But eventually, eventually, the pressure on it from me uh, out in the field became so great um, I think that's when things started to uh, slow down in the apartment wrestling arena. Yeah, well, and and you can understand in a way because um, even especially back in those days, they they wanted to be legitimate. They wanted to be seen as legitimate, and then bringing that into it uh, to them cheapened it. Um, I but I'm sure it's it's they sold a lot of copies, and we've we see you know the impact of divas today. That's always certainly been a big part, a big draw to uh, sports entertainment. Sean, when I do a lot of the conventions, when I'm hosting or having a table at uh, the conventions, you would be surprised at how many fans come over to me and ask me about the apartment wrestling. I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Really? Yeah. Why do they? Why, yeah. And just kind of just off the trail here, but why was it called apartment wrestling? Because when you look at the photos, they were all done in an apartment. <laughs> Yeah. See, I always knew there's a simple answer. That that very and most of those stories were written by the late Dan Shockett. Uh, that's another question. Oh, the heel writer. Yes. Yeah, I always get uh, questions at at the conventions about Dan Shockett and Eddie Elner. Uh, Dan died at a, uh, from cancer at a very very young age in his early 30s. Eddie Elner, who took over Dan's spot as the heel editor, if you Google him. He owns a place called Yoga Soup out in Los Angeles. He's not in the wrestling publishing business now. He's a uh, yoga guru, and he has been for uh, for many, many years. But yeah, apartment wrestling uh, sold an amazing amount of, uh, of magazines. And then in 1979, um, I for all time, I kept saying, we got to do another wrestling magazine like uh, wrestling review, and that's when the idea for Pro Wrestling Illustrated came up, and that became really the the real Bible of pro wrestling magazines. Yeah. And that was uh, what I think in '79 when when that uh, yeah that first came out. Um, now it's hard for people to imagine back then now that that how strong kayfabe was, and and uh, my listeners know of course what I'm talking about here. That um, at that Could you point in time. In? 
Yeah. No, I can't tell you because it's kayfabe. Uh, But I I have to imagine, though, uh, and and you had deadlines and stuff wouldn't come out for a number of weeks. And these these promoters realized, okay, it was kind of a fine line they had to walk here because they uh, wanted their product promoted. But at the same time, they they had to have this element of kayfabe to it. They had to have this element of secrecy. And yet that many of these guys let you in on this stuff. They had to. But if you would have burned them once, that would have been the end of it. So how did you establish those contacts? How did you keep that trust? And I, I, I mean, I look back at that. I don't know how you pulled it off. It must have just to, to have, you know, folks, we're not talking. It's not you had just Vince McMahon you had to win over or one. You had several. So uh, how did you do that? Well, there were some promotions that actually didn't want the magazines around because they were running the same matches in uh, uh, one night in, in a certain area and the finish would be the same uh, the other night. My, my uh, uh, early days were the way I quote-unquote pulled this off uh, was that when I started in the business, I was doing a radio show in New York called uh, Inside Wrestling, uh, based upon the magazine. It was a five-minute show on WHBI 105.9 FM in New York. Inside Wrestling, brought to you by the magazine for wrestling fans, Inside Wrestling and the Wrestler. And I would go to the matches uh, in a uh, sport jacket and tie, which is what I tell all these internet people. When you go to the matches, if you want to be recognized, dress like a business person. So that was the first thing that got the attention to be honest with you this guy is dressed like a professional that was the first step the second step was not asking any inside uh, questions the magazines i worked for when i started we covered wrestling like sports illustrated would cover uh, boxing baseball football or anything like that and all the interviews i would do with the wrestlers and the promoters were done in that style. Once in a while, a wrestler uh, might say to me, uh, you know, something inside, and I said, well, it's fine. I, I appreciate you telling me that, and I would never tell anybody else. It was a, I knew, I knew to listen and not talk about what someone told me to someone else. Then little by little, some of the promoters like. Um, Vince McMahon's partner, Willie Gilsenberg in New York, who is also a well-known boxing promoter, uh, would call Stanley Weston and say, well, why don't you tell your boy uh, this is going to happen tonight, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And then they start calling me directly. And when I'd go on the trips to the various territories like Jim Crockett Promotions or Paul Bosch or uh, Fritz von Erich's promotions is uh, it was the same mode. It was the suit and tie or the shirt and tie. Uh, don't ask questions. Uh, treat it like a sport. And I they began to trust me. And then some of the wrestlers would take me to dinner and we'd discuss their matches. And during dinner, you know, they might have broken kayfabe and told me something, and they'd never hear me speak about that even to them. So little by little, that's the way I started establishing the trust. There were many times uh, that a lot of the promoters uh, were angered by stories that were written 
either by me or other people that I took a lot of heat from, especially with Vince McMahon Sr., and it was very hard to repair uh, what was a good relationship and say, that won't happen again. Yeah. So, yeah, so there were ups and downs in uh, every one of the territories, and then there were promoters like Jim Crockett who saw that the magazines were banned for several years because WWF had their own magazine and they would, uh, Jim Crockett called me and he says, well, how'd you like a segment on my TV show? Mm-hmm. You can promote your magazine. Yeah, Great marketing for us and for them as well. So they appreciated that kind of promotion. Same thing with, uh, Vern Gagne, same thing with, uh, Paul Bosch, Fritz von Erich. So, and uh, uh, Ole Anderson down in Georgia. Um, so I became I became a known face to the wrestling fans because I was the guy now on TV representing the magazines. But the bottom line is is that I always played the politics right. I never crossed anybody. I never double talked. Hey, this one told me this. This one told me that. It was always uh, I always let them uh take the lead yeah and and uh you, you mentioned Does these that promoters. Make sense, by the yeah way? no absolutely and it's good advice <laughs> for people uh in life uh that uh you know I, but i i that must have just been very uh, treacherous waters that you wade through because oh, you was, had and the other thing was to not yeah. knock not knock things because i tell yeah. people uh when they're on the internet they're like oh that match sucked that match yeah. was so yeah. oh they're and you know, rather than doing that, find something positive or, you know, don't criticize it in such a uh, dastardly manner. Say, I didn't think it was up to par. Sound like a journalist yeah. in it and, and they'll respect you. Well, and then uh, you know, and always remember that everything you write and put out there, the entire world can see and uh, many will. It's easy to sit behind a desk somewhere in your uh, your home and type that stuff up, but uh, you know you have to answer to it. So uh, yeah, that's that's good advice as well. Did it take a while though? You mentioned these promoters. Uh, were there some it took a while to for them to understand the advantage for their organizations uh, to be in these magazines? Because I know it, oh, at one point it, sure. they, 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 did it take some a while to to get it. Um, it it did. It took some promoters a while where. Uh, they just uh, uh, they, they didn't care. You know, they were running their small mom and pop shops, and they they really didn't care whether they were in the magazines or or not. But if they saw that some of the other promotions that were a state or two away from them were in the uh, magazines, they would like, hey, how come you never cover our guys? Yeah. Well, you don't let our guys at ringside to shoot photos. Oh, is that what you need? Oh, come on Access. in. Access. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know some of the, when we're talking about the politics, what you did uh, as a broadcaster um, was even harder politics than the wrestling uh, promoters because when we gave Gordon Soley the Broadcaster of the Year Award at one time, Mm -hmm. uh, every broadcaster, um, and this is before you actually got in the business, I believe, Sean, but every broadcaster under the sun how could you make Gordon number one? Why, you know, why did we've helped you so much? Why haven't you didn't? Why didn't you do it with our broadcaster? So after a while, we stopped giving out anything to do with broadcasters because we found that uh, the broadcasters were more sensitive 
than the wrestlers and the promoters, which I never really thought was uh, was going to happen. Well, see, that explains a lot that I uh, didn't receive one of those awards. Now I understand. Well, you would have. Definitely would. <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, it, it, it is a very good point that uh, how sensitive and, and you started. Uh, I don't know when the ranking started, but did you have any idea? Uh, the reaction that you would get from inside the industry. I, I know no. that you probably knew people are going to love this. And what I'm talking about, uh, folks, is the rankings that uh, Bill did with these magazines where they would rate uh, wrestlers for, you know, greatest babyface, best heel, best wrestler overall. So you can imagine, uh, first of all, the fans would love it. But uh, did you have any idea the reaction you would get inside the because oh, you knew my. what the personalities these guys are like? And yeah. the, the name of the business is Get Yourself Over. Yeah, we we did uh, most popular, most hated, top tens, and there would be guys that would come over to me. You know, I beat Dusty Rhodes three times. How right. come he's number one and I'm number three? And as well, you know, that was a couple of weeks ago. The magazines were published two months ago. You know, that's when it went to the printer. And then the next month, if they didn't see themselves above dusty roads i'd get a call or i'd go to the matches and the guys would they would cold shoulder me they really would and there were there were also battles where um Vern Gagne, uh vince mcmahon and uh, uh the national wrestling alliance whoever was the president at that time wanted to make sure their guy was on top of the top 10 rankings mm. not just in the in their own federations, but, and I'd, I'd get a lot of calls about stuff like this. I'd also get a lot of calls from, um, uh, people like Vince senior wanting to know why, uh, an opposition promotion that came into, uh, New York, why we're even covering them when they, the WWF are doing so much and letting us in, et cetera. Why are we covering the other guys? And I had to say at that point, you know, we're a wrestling magazine. We cover everybody. And that was another one of those uh, uh, fine lines of we have to be careful what we put in the magazine and play the uh, politics game. So, but no, the wrestlers and the promoters were very jealous about where their uh, rankings were. Yeah. And, and I got take a quick... it, Sean. I was, yeah, yeah. I was out on the field, so I got the heat. I can imagine. Okay. I, I just, uh, yeah, that must have been made for some very uncomfortable moments. There's no, and there's no question about that. Uh, Bill, I got to take a quick time out here to uh, welcome one of our sponsors back in. And I know, you know, uh, you know, fans better than anybody else. Uh, you know how much they love wrestling. Well, you know, a lot of them love football. And uh, all my listeners out there who play fantasy football, make sure you stay ahead of the curve with a new podcast called Fantasy Foresight. Now, hosts Jay and Ben. Focus 100% on fantasy football. That's what they do. And they share their total foresight with private metrics and projections to help you win your fantasy football league. These guys know what they're talking about. They break it down. To them, it's a science. So if you want to be at the top of your fantasy football league, you need this podcast. And if you play fantasy football, whether you're a savvy vet or this is your rookie season, you cannot afford to miss this podcast. Again, it's called Fantasy Foresight. And you can look it up on all of your uh, fantasy uh, foresight uh, downloads you can get that on itunes and of course all the other platforms so check it out fantasy foresight podcast actually right, if you listen to, to that if you listen to that podcast 
it's so good you'll have fantasy five sight. You'll be that yes. good. Yes, <laughs> and, and and beyond. That's true. right. Well, thank you, Bill. And uh, getting back to what we were talking about before, when we were talking about these rankings that the uh, wrestlers uh, were, and and people would wait for these to come out, not just the the fans, of course, but uh, the wrestlers. And you know, if they weren't the guy, but what it came down to is, you know, selling these magazines, getting these magazines off the newsstands, right? That's but what. Yeah, it, that's that how what put somebody on the cover. That, yeah, but that wasn't that that wasn't the reason uh, in the rankings. The, I explained to the wrestlers that we did the that I did the rankings based upon uh, what we were getting results for in the magazines. You can't put the number three guy in the number one position if he's not winning his matches. But how did you do that when you're did? balancing it between all of these organizations? You got the NWA, the AWA, the WWWF well, we at the time. We did them separately, but when we did the top ten, we generally put the the three recognized world champions, NWA, WWF, and AWA, those were the top three. Oh. And then we do the top challengers for each title as like four, five, and six. And then yeah, we well, Indie guys in there as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting. I, I've just that that period in uh, professional history, uh, professional wrestling history is, is really it's just incredible what was because oh, people, you had all these different those. people you know? love top ten lists. People yeah. still to this day love top ten lists, yeah. and uh, I would always be assaulted in the dressing room area about the rankings. There would be so many wrestlers, very few who were ranked. Number one would come over, hey, thank you, Bill. But the guys that were three down to ten, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, would I hear about it. Oh, man. I can't even imagine. Um, we, we, I mentioned the WWWF, which was run by uh, Vince McMahon Sr. And, of course, everyone knows their history here, how it progressed that uh, Vince Jr. would take over. Um but even he provided a, a good deal of resistance for other reasons than Vince did. But was it always that way with that company? Which Vince are we talking about? Well, on both of them, in a sense, because, like I said, Vince Sr., to him, it was protecting his his uh, product, his uh, wrestlers, and how things were presented. And then with Vince, it was, I, I made, maybe initially there was, uh, I don't know how open they were to it, but then, of course, they started their own magazine, and you know they wanted to control that product. But uh, was there always that... I don't know how we what the word we describe contentious. I, I don't know from no, with, with res- resistance is a, is a really good word. The yeah. resistance from Vince Senior was that he and Stanley Weston had an altercation back in the '60s, and he never talked. They never talked to each other again. So when I burst onto the scene, and uh, I started going to Sunnyside Garden and uh, getting uh, my way around the ring and the dressing room, etc. When I first met Vince Sr., he knew that I worked for Stanley, and he said to me, I haven't talked to Stanley Weston in 15 years or whatever it is, And uh, but you know what? You seem like a nice boy. I'll give you a chance, and if you do what's right, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. Mm. That's what he said to me, okay? So that was a great start because he could have said, you work for Stanley, yeah, you're out. Yeah, yeah. He didn't do that, but again, it was the suit, the shirt, and tie. 
Mm-hmm. I'm telling well, you. Well, and you were always it's, respectful too, and I'm, I'm sure absolutely. But I know absolutely. of him because I never got the chance to meet him. But that was now really important. Now with Vince Junior, with Vince yeah. Junior, was a different story, um, because he, um, when I first met him, uh, it was before he had taken over the company. He was broadcasting yeah. for the company, and by the way, he was a great broadcaster. I, I think he was he was one of the finest uh, ringside commentators I had, I've ever heard. He, he was spectacular, but there was always this thing that I could see that there was a, a holdback. We're like, hi, Bill, you know, and just yeah. not warm or anything, just like something was about to happen. And I didn't know what that was. Like it was leery me. of you? Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, not leery of me, just that what, a, what am I doing there? What, a, mm-hmm. what is George Napolitano, who's with the other group of magazines and some of the other photographers? Why are we? Why are we doing this when they're not being compensated for this at all, when it's their product? So eventually they did start the uh, WWF magazine, and uh, Vince called me and uh, offered me a job to be editor. And I'm very loyal. I'm very, very loyal to the people I work for. And I thanked him very much. And I said, but I'm, I'm very well taken care of. And I gave him the number of Les Thatcher, who was doing the Mid-Atlantic magazine at that point. Um, and I don't know if he ever called Les. Um, and then they started their own magazine eventually. Um, and it was no longer uh, – initially it was Victory magazine. And uh, the company that Stanley Weston had uh, owned was London Publishing. But he was putting out a series of magazines under the Victory Sports banner. So Vince had to change his magazine name from Victory Magazine to the WWF Magazine. That's how yeah. that actually happened. Oh, I, don't know so if, I, I you know, remember you know, Victory, but I didn't remember the change yeah. why that happened. Stanley, oh, West, Stanley Weston um, was instrumental in making sure that they couldn't use the name Victory at that yeah. point. So that probably put another um, nail in the, I don't need these other magazine things. But he did right. tell me before the magazines were banned for years that uh, Bill, this is nothing personal, but we're uh, going to be doing this uh, on our own. Um, thank you for everything you've done. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, I'd see him on the road periodically, and he'd be like, well, what are you doing here? We're not giving you access or anything. And I said, well, I'm visiting friends or whatever, uh, and I just happened to be there. But I never had a camera in an arena uh, yeah. during the band. We had freelance photographers that uh, that did that. Well, Bill, I could talk to you all day about uh, the history and, and uh, how things changed over the years and what, uh, and I will ask you a bit about Vince and, and what you believe he's done for the industry. But along the way, you developed some incredible relationships with a lot of the biggest names ever in the history of professional wrestling. And um, it, I, I'm sure a lot of that was just showing up there at places and seeing these guys and just being around them. But oh, yeah. uh, you had to be the person you were for them to let you into that circle. And um, I'm just, I, I, there's a few folks and I'm telling you the book uh, is wrestling fixed. I didn't think I never, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was broken. Know. Yeah. Um, th- there's so many great stories of you telling, uh, you know, these encounters that you've had with these incredible people over the years, but I, a few of them just certainly stand out. Uh, among them, Kurt Hennig, who was one of my all-time favorites, Bill. Oh, I, I loved Kurt. He was so good to me. 
And he just was the total package. I know what that you mentioned guy. in the book that, you know, the Mr. Perfect was the ultimate gimmick for him and it suited him. He, there's nobody I don't think who could have pulled it off uh, as well as he did. But um, I know he was really special to you as well. Yeah, he was. He was a very good friend. Uh, uh, I met him when he first came into the WWF. Uh, uh, I met he and Eddie Gilbert at the same time, actually. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of road trips with them. Um, got to know uh, Kurt's family very well. And there's a uh, there, there's a story in the book that uh, uh, Kurt was a huge country music fan. Yeah. And he knew I was as well. Yes, show music and country music. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's a story in the book, and I don't want to give out all the details, of that he promised me one day that I would get to meet George Strait because he knew George Strait. And after he died, it happened. It's a very yeah. eerie story. Yeah. It really is. But yeah, people uh, uh, like he connected me to the uh, entertainment industry as well. And yeah, but he he was just a, a, a great soul. He was a party goer. He loved life. And uh, yeah, I miss him uh, very, very, very much. Now, another... Uh big name in in the history of uh, professional wrestling is randy savage and uh, i of all of the superstars that i worked probably most with it was randy and you know and it, it, it took me a long time to to get that trust from him and we actually had a few pretty uh, intense encounters uh, to get there and i i know you did as well mine oh, yeah. was certainly not as serious as yours was and that's another one but um uh, I know that at one point, and you knew him for a long time before this happened, but uh, this is another story, folks, you got to check out uh, when, um, well, you know, when he, when he went down me. to WCW. Really yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When people were questioning his age in the business. I'll kind of leave it at that and let you take it from there. Well, and, we, and you we, can reveal as much we, as you we, want. We, we had published in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and we, I called him to make sure this was okay. He was making his comeback. He was coming in, and he was going to win the WCW title yeah. and uh we we were sitting around all the editors and let's come up with an angle he won the title let's come up with an angle so one of the editors came up with it. we had editorial meetings every friday we'd sit yeah. down with with photos and uh come up with stories for the photos that we had so this is a great set of photos and somebody said well you know he's kind of like uh, he's getting older so why don't we say that some fan called him an old man and that spurned him on to get really PO'd and that he was going to win the title and show this fan and everybody else that he's not old. He's better than ever. Yeah, better than ever. Yeah. Right. So I called him when we were in the headline meeting and he says, Hey, if you think it's going to be good, go ahead with it, brother. He says, I trust you. So we did it. And then I was at a wrestling, uh, the, uh, Anoki peace festival in Los Angeles and Eric Bischoff was just checking into the hotel the night before and he looked at me and he said, how are you doing? It's fine. He says, by the way, Randy Savage wants to kill you. <laughs> what? Yeah, the Eric Bischoff story is another story, but yeah, this yeah, is but he part said, of it. Randy yeah. wants to kill me. It's a kid and kill so I didn't boy. know what it was all about. So um, I knew that Randy was going to be in Philadelphia at a show like two weeks later. So I was going to that show. It was either Philly or Baltimore with the like uh, comeback of the year plaque or the most something like that. And he was coming 
down the hallway in the dressing room with Elizabeth and a whole bunch of other people, and I had the plaque in my hand, and I said, this is for you. He said, oh, this is for me? Just, but can I curse on here? You absolutely can. No, I, don't, I don't curse. It's not my vocabulary. Yeah, I know, but if it's part of the story, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, important. He you says, oh, really? I don't give a shit about this. And he took oh. the plaque. This is an $85 plaque, and he threw oh. it against the wall. Oh. And he, he says, smashed it. He looked at it. He smashed Well, no, it didn't really smash. And he says, old man, huh? The rest of the story is in the book, if I can leave a cliffhanger, if you're okay yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah, if, but if you, you must mind. have been, your jaw must have been like, what? Uh, <laughs> I thought he was going to kill me. I really yeah. did. Yeah. Really there did. was a few times when I was working where I thought, you know, physical harm could come to me. And, and a couple of them were with Randy. So I'll leave that. But, I'll leave it at that yeah, as well. But, uh, and now during the matches that night, yeah. um, I went out there and he was, he was wrestling Ric Flair and Nancy um, Sullivan. Um, woman was at ringside and she and I, I adored her. I absolutely loved her. And we were at ringside and Savage and Flair hook up and Savage stops the match, stops the match, walks over to where I'm shooting pictures and spits in my face like a Bret Hart, Vince McMahon spit. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. But it was Hulk Hogan who months later, I went to visit him at home to do a story for WoW Magazine when I was working at WoW Magazine. And he said, before we go to my house, brother, I got somebody who wants to talk to you. And he drove me to a gym. And there, sitting on a bench alone in the gym, was this guy. I had no idea who, who it was. And he turned around. as Randy. And I thought I was being set up. And Randy came over to me and says, hey, man, I'm really sorry. He says, the demons. Yeah. I'm really sorry, man. It was yeah. all the demons. Yeah. And yeah. He had so it end, ended well. Yeah, but it's a great story in the book, folks. You should check it out. And, and it's amazing that, you know, you mentioned Hulk smoothed that over. And yeah. a lot of people don't understand that relationship. It was a very complicated relationship between Hulk and Randy. And uh, there was a period of time where they were very close. And uh, you just yeah. mentioned that that was a, a time with, you know, who would have thought that that would be the person that would, you know, be the liaison between you two. But and, I think you would agree that you never knew what day, which Randy you were going to get. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, the, the only other one that was uh, along those same lines with the, was the warrior, but uh, for, for different reasons. But you're right with, with Randy. But I tell you, um, with that, I, I, uh, there's, I, there are a few superstars that I liked as much or respected as much as Randy because every time that guy went out there, he gave it everything he had, and, there, and there's, uh, you know, there's a few that I really uh, hold uh, at that with that high esteem, and, and Randy is one of them. He was um, one of the few guys during the magazine ban. Mm-hmm. If you'd see one of my photographers, um, knowing that he shouldn't have done this, if you'd see one of my photographers somewhere around, he'd stand there and pose for one or two quick shots mm-hmm. until yeah. till Bill I said hello. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Uh, and since we mentioned Hulk, uh, got to talk about one of the, the moments that maybe a lot of people don't realize. They know about the Andy Kaufman uh, story, and we'll get to that. But you By also the way, I'm so have, glad you pronounced that correctly. Most people say Kaufman. It's Kaufman. Thank Kaufman, you. Yeah, yeah Thank well, you. I, I lived back east for a long time <laughs> with uh, many of my friends. 
uh, often corrected me. So uh, I've carried it to my to with me to this day as I work at news that uh, I always make sure you got to make sure you pronounce them right. Um, but the, Hulk, uh, you got a call from Sylvester Stallone's office and had uh, a hand in making that connection to Rocky Three, which changed Hulk Hogan's career forever. I did, I did, and uh, Hulk uh, Stallone's office had picked up a copy of the magazine, and they had mm-hmm. wanted pictures of two people, superstar Billy Graham mm-hmm. and Hulk Hogan. So I, I really would have been thrilled, by the way, had Stallone called, but it, yeah, yeah, I yo, pictures, yo, you know, you know, you know, but uh, I have to get the invitation in there. Yeah. So they called, and I sent the pictures. And his office called back and said they want to talk to uh, uh, this guy Hulk Hogan. So at this point we yeah. were, this point we're banned from the magazines. From uh, uh, the magazines uh, are banned uh, from from the WWF. Yeah. So I'm calling people around um, that uh, I called Arnold Skoland. I called a no, actually the magazines. I'm trying to think. No, he was not. He hadn't won the title yet, so no, no, we we were okay at that point. But I was calling everybody around trying to find him because Stallone wanted to yeah, talk to him. Everybody thought phones, it was a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, everybody thought it was a joke. Mm-hmm. And I finally got to Arnold Skolan, who's one of Vince's main men. And he said, "Yeah, sure, I'll give him uh, the message." So then I called Hulk's mother because she was. Let me back up a little. We were banned back then because I couldn't talk to Hulk directly. His mother. Mm-hmm was my liaison, his mother Ruth. <laughs> yeah. And she gave him the message. And uh, a lot of people took credit for the hookup there, but the message came from me. And when I talked to Hulk years ago, he never really knew that it came from me. He said his mother said that I had called, but Arnold Skoll and about 40 other people backstage all took credit for this whole mm-hmm. thing. But yeah. the pictures that we ran in the magazine were all sent to us by Hulk's mother. Otherwise, we never would have gotten the photos uh, to run in the magazine. Huh. So, yeah, yeah, I hooked, uh, I hooked him up. But he got... I think somebody else part. took credit, though. Didn't they? Yeah, yeah, but he got the part on his own merits. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I uh, helped put the in the ignition. Yeah, and of course, the one that I, I everyone knows about, and, and you were featured at StarCast talking about this, was the connection with Jerry Lawler, who you uh, had, a, uh, had a great connection with uh, throughout your life, and he wrote the foreword to the book, yeah. uh, Jerry Lawler, and of course, uh, his connection with Andy Kaufman, when, when that, and I remember it vividly, Bill, I was living in New York at the time, in the city, and I, you know, Letterman was just bursting on the scene then, and wow, uh, people bought that hook, line, and sinker. It was everywhere. How did that all come together in the short version? Because I know you developed a relationship with Andy, but uh, how that happened? Well, the, the short version, first of all, um, I didn't know that it wasn't what they call today a shoot, of course, uh, until uh, I saw Andy in Jerry's hotel room uh, yeah. after the, uh, the Letterman show. Uh, the, the short version is that uh, Andy used to come to the matches at Madison Square Garden, and he tried to convince Vince Sr. to let him wrestle, and Vince didn't want any. He was a huge you know, wrestling fan, right? His yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he wanted to be Buddy Rogers or Fred Blassie. Uh-huh. So one night he was talking to me in the dressing room area, and um, 
uh, Vince Sr. called me over. He said, hey, he's a nice young boy and all that, but we don't want to, we don't want to have any part of, uh, uh, show business and, and wrestling. So, uh, he was not like his son. So Andy asked me, what am I doing after the matches? And I said, well, I go back to my apartment where I was living with a girl wrestler from Australia, Susan Sexton. Um, I go back to my apartment in Queens. Now, here's the guy who's starring in Taxi. Yeah, he's huge then. Yeah, he's very huge. big star. And he said, well, can I? He said, how do you get home? I said, I take the E-train from Penn Station. Can I go with you? So here <laughs> I am with Andy Kaufman on the E-train, and people are like, nobody that, talked to him, like but it? they were all like, yeah. you know, we, everybody yeah. was staring. So uh-huh. we go up to my apartment, and uh, uh, Suzanne loved to use the uh, the F-bomb, and we get into the apartment. He says, oh, it's uh, fucking Andy Kaufman. What are you doing here? How are you, love? So we sat down. We sat down on uh, the couch, and for about a half hour, we're talking about wrestling. And uh, she says, uh, "Can't you talk about anything else in wrestling? How about like the Ramones or ACDC? Oh, they're just fucking wrestling all the time." So he says, "Well, yeah, I want to get into." She says, "That's it." So she got up, went into her her uh, her room, uh, put on her headphones, gabba gabba hey, and she was in. Uh, Ramones land. Yeah. So Andy is asking me all about Buddy Rogers and Blassie and my relationship with them. And I said, you know what? Vince Senior won't let you do this, but I have a good friend um, in Memphis by the name of Jerry Lawler. He says, oh, I've seen him in your magazine. I said, their, their promotion does stick. They've got yeah. like the Frankenstein monster and Dracula and all. I said, let's call him. He says, well, it's midnight. He said, I said he, it's 11 o'clock. Memphis time, but even if it was two in the morning, we're wrestling people. We call each other at four in the morning, okay? So I call Jerry Lawler on a uh, regular phone. There were no cell phones. And he says, you got Andy Kaufman, the guy from Taxi, in your roach-infested apartment there? I said, yeah. And I put Andy on, and that's what started it all. So Andy flew down there. And after the David Letterman show, the next day, um, Jerry Lawler was going to come out to our office to, uh, uh, spend a day with, um, with all the editors and we were going to do pictures, etc. This is the biggest thing that happened on TV at that point. The, oh the yeah, it was huge. Around the world. Right. So I went into Mr. West and you know what happened with Jerry Lawler and Andy? I saw that at showbiz. I said, can we send a car to get him? Have him take the Long Island Railroad like everybody <laughs> So here's Jerry everybody Lawler. Else. Right, here's Lawler, the biggest star in the world right now, going down to Penn Station with his wife at that time, Paula, and taking the train to Rockville Center. So, how did they yeah. get the? How did they get them on the Letterman show? I mean, I, I know that they had done some of these matches, but how did they? It, was Letterman just open to that kind of thing? I mean, I, I always wondered how that. Andy was. was uh, Andy uh, had a lot of contacts yeah. there. What I understand, and Jerry, uh, uh, Jerry talked to him about uh, having this done on the Letterman show, and I think uh, I think it was uh, what was the name of the guy that uh, uh, produced Saturday Night Live? Um, uh, Lauren Michaels. I was going to say Sean Michaels. Or Ebersol. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, right. And I think that may have had something to do with it. Well, you know, well. and you look at it, and uh, I always wondered if if Letterman was in on the work. Or because he's, he's, he, he sold not. it so great. He was not. No, no, he was not. I was wow. backstage. I was backstage in the green room mm-hmm. before this happened. 
Um, no, and, and I was there afterwards. Really? David Letterman did not know anything about this at all. And Jerry Lawler told me years later, because I never thought Jerry was going to break the kayfabe on this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know about the whole kayfabe until after Craig Peters and I, who was one of our editors, went up to the hotel room uh, afterwards and somebody opened the door and behind the door was Andy Kaufman and mm-hmm. there was uh, Jerry and his wife there. Mm-hmm. But um, the impact of that was just was just absolutely amazing. And yeah. uh, the movie, Man on the Moon, didn't do it justice because where his girlfriend said to him, where he said to his girlfriend, let's go to Memphis, she said, why? Well, it's the wrestling capital of the world. They should have said, let's go to Bill After's apartment. Yeah, they that's right. Do that. Yeah. We'll take but the subway. But that wasn't Hollywood. It wasn't Hollywood. <laughs> stuff. Well, well, and uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, Kaufman was a, a big, he was a huge star on Taxi. Um, I, I, you know, I have a feeling that you would have a story for me about Seinfeld. But before I give you that chance, there are a lot of people who remember Taxi, of course, and a lot of people who remember Seinfeld and they sure. remember Kenny Banya. Now, Jerry's nemesis, who was on this show, would always say, that's gold, Jerry, that's gold. The actor who's also a comedian, he's Steve Heitner. He now has a podcast, and it's called That's Gold with Steve Heitner. Now, if you love the show, uh, you are going to love That's Gold with Steve Heitner. You may know Steve. If you're a Seinfeld fan, it's Jerry's annoying comedian friend, Kenny Banya. Kenny Banya, remember him, who coined the term That's Gold, Jerry? Now I remember this. You're bringing back good memories, yes. Well, he is joined by his co-host, Rich Johnson, and they talk about everything... uh, that guys love sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, music, Vegas, and more. And they do this five days a week. It's like having a conversation with your buddies at a bar, a bar where famous guests often show up to shoot the breeze. Check out That's Gold with Steve Heitner on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out That's Gold with Steve Heitner. By you the know, way, uh, now, I, now yeah. I know who he is. And I was a big fan of his. Yeah, too, so glad you just tipped me off about that podcast. I definitely intend to uh, listen to that. That's gold. That's gold, Bill. That's gold. It is gold. Who is that? Wait a minute. That was Howard Cosell. <laughs> that yeah. podcast Got is a, gold that, indeed. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you do a lot of them. I, I, I love uh, listening to the book. I do uh, hundreds of wrestling voices. Uh, My, well, the, being the around biggest, those guys. Oh, yeah, but the biggest. Well, I was a mimic since I was a kid. Yeah. I used to do showbiz imitations. I always wanted to be an entertainer. Yeah. And uh, uh, people, even today, uh, always request my Dusty, my Grand Wizard, and uh, my Bruno. You know, I didn't hear the Bruno. Or I remember oh. the, Give me a little Bruno. Okay, a- ask me if I hate just throw in a Bruno opponent name. Okay. We can't believe you're going to put the title on the line against Ivan Koloff, Bruno. What kind of a match are you expecting when you get this guy in the ring? You know, this doggone guy, this Koloff guy, a lot of people say to me, Bruno, you've beaten Koloff many times, but tonight you have an injury, your ribs are hurt, what's going to happen? A lot of people think that I, I hate Ivan Koloff. Doggone it, I don't hate Ivan Koloff, but I hold a lot of animosity toward him. But, but it's going to be a great match, so that's my Bruno. Yeah. And, always uh, say he, he, he would use doggone, that was... Uh, that. Yeah, doggone it, Vince. No, he never said he'd hate somebody. He'd always say, I don't hate Bobby Duncan, but I hold a lot of animosity toward him. And he didn't uh, use any expletives? Not at all. Bruno was one of the first guys to put me over. 
uh, to the other guys. Wow. Uh, once Bruno liked me, uh, then Gorilla Monsoon liked me. Uh, yeah. And then another wrestler liked me. And it, yeah, it's That's great how it's down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and really, uh, just a, an incredible uh, span of time, and and along the way, as these new guys would come in too, as well, you became friends with them. Um, and they I knew me that, from the magazine. It was amazing. Yeah. I was absolutely amazed yeah. that they knew who I was. Yeah. Well, they probably, you know, it's like anything else. I I meet people that are now uh, in the business who, as kids, watched. You know, in the 90s and uh, those years, then they were young children. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was the same with you, that they had probably grown up reading the magazines. Um, you you mentioned in, the, in your book, uh, and you talk very fondly of the Von Erich family. And I, I worked with Carrie, who I thought was just a sweetheart. What a just a great, great kid and, and uh, such a, a, a tragic family. I recently did a had a conversation with Kevin. But uh, I know you were very close to that family, and it's just—it's uh, probably just even for you to have to relive those memories has got to be tough at times because you knew all of them. I was very close with David initially. Yeah. David and I, uh, when he went to the Florida um, territory, I became very dear friends with him. Uh, he invited me to uh, the ranch when he and Trish were married, uh, and he said to me, "You know, you're a member of our family. You're a Von Eric." Uh, I never forget like 3 a.m. Um, the phone call from uh, Jimmy Suzuki, one of the photographers in uh, mm-hmm. uh, in Japan, where he said David Van Erich just died, and I was like, mm-hmm. I couldn't. It, the shock of that was, it, it was it was it was the first wrestler I remember that I was close with who had died, um, and to this day I still remember that. And what did tragic the the, the entire Von Erich family, you couldn't write a story yeah. uh, like what happened to them in real yeah. life. Yeah. And I'm blessed that Kevin and I stay in touch yeah. uh, every few months. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm just I'm glad he's still here. Um, we can't certainly cover all of them, but I know that there's some that, uh, you know, that were during my era and you made had relationships with these uh, other guys that have come into the WWE. But. Uh, people like Shawn Michaels and and uh, Paul Levesque, everyone knows as as Triple H. Um, You're how kidding. did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, uh, how close are you? I should say with with those guys still. Shawn and I. Uh, last time I saw him was at uh, uh, at the Hall of Fame party at WrestleMania uh, two years ago. Yeah. Um, pretty close with him. Um, in terms of, uh, Paul, and it's funny cause you pronounce his name like I do, Levesque, and a lot of people pronounce it Levesque. Um, and I will still call him Levesque. Um, a great relationship because he's, he's an old school guy in a new school world and he knows how to balance it. And if I need to run something past him, um, he will always respond to me, yeah. and, I, and I, you know, as when will I, his love, as will his lovely wife. Yeah, when I was reading about that, uh, Stephanie, as you uh, mentioned, um, but I was just reading that I was thinking, how did that relationship happen? I mean, uh, he's certainly in a, in a great position now with the company and, and has a great great influence. But um, 
that hasn't always been the case. And you, you, you talk about building these relationships. How did that connect? How did that, uh, it had to be something special that, you know, you've carried it on since, but why that connection between you two? He, um, when the network first kicked off, Eric Paulin, who was one of the producers, said to another producer, how come you guys haven't called Bill after? Mm-hmm. And nobody knew they were all production guys. So word got to. Well, they're young too. They there. didn't know the yeah, history either. Yeah. 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 And uh, although you'd be surprised, like at StarCast, how many 18-year-olds came over who knew who I was from YouTube. But getting back to your story here is, um, so he called me. I uh, hadn't talked to him for a while, and he had an idea for a uh, uh, a pilot show for the mm-hmm. network. Because I, somebody said something to somebody to somebody um, that oh, knew that I, yeah, yeah. And he set me up to host the pilot show for what became the JBL Legends show eventually. Um, but that's where we started talking more and more, um, where uh, he knew that I was still a big supporter of the product. He had seen things that I had written on OneWrestling.com supporting the product. Uh, I would shoot him emails periodically giving him my point of view on some of the pay-per-views, et cetera. Um, and I think a lot of it uh, also came from, uh, uh, from Stephanie McMahon, who, uh, and I don't know where this came from out of her family, who just, uh, I emailed her once, and within 10 minutes she emailed me back. And then I would do the same thing with, uh, with Paul. So there, there seems to be... Uh, the relationship started more so when the uh, when the network kicked off yeah. because this was something maybe we can use Bill on there. Actually, actually, thinking back, because you're, you're kicking uh, kicking off things in my mind that I forgot about. Their dot uh, com called me first, way before the network, mm-hmm. to uh, ask me if I would like to do some writing for them. That was actually the start of it. They were in a meeting. I'm remembering this now for the first time in years. They were in a meeting, all the talent, and Paul said to someone, why isn't after doing anything for us? Yeah. And that's when the dot-com people got in touch with me, and that was prior to the network. Yeah, uh, and so much is going on now. Um, before I, I ask you about that, though, You've uh, been around the McMahons for a long, long time. You had a relationship with Vince Sr. And then uh, saw Vince McMahon Jr. take over. Um, and it was, it's not been an easy road. You talk about it in the book for, you know, at the time, and I've talked about it many times on my podcast of the, the way things were then, that uh, it was basically divided like mafia territories in a way where you respected e- each other's territories. You, you, you even exchanged talent. And then Vince came in with a vision and never stopped. And uh, there were certainly some very uncomfortable times. <laughs> uh, that's putting it mildly. But you've seen what it's become. And w- as you look back over the years, uh, what is your impression? What is your uh, thoughts on the impact that Vince has had on the industry? It's amazing. It's uh, um, Although it was very volatile back in the days of the yeah territory takeover and i hated to see so many people put out of business really Mm -hmm. they couldn't battle him um what it is today is providing 
these athletes, these amazing athletes with full-time careers and money that they never could have dreamed of making yeah. had it still been in the territorial system. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, one done. of the secrets, one of the secrets, Sean, uh, that I'm still in it is that, and like you as well, is that if I would have been bitter and not evolved with what the business was becoming, um, I wouldn't be part of it anymore. Yeah. But uh, I've evolved to the point where when I started working for OneWrestling.com, I was the first guy to put pro wrestling interviews on video on the Internet. First guy to do that on any wrestling website. Um, so once I saw the trend going to social media, Facebook account, MySpace back then, uh, into Twitter and into today with the podcast, uh, it's just – uh, you have to evolve or you get left behind. Yeah, and that was true with many of the wrestlers that, uh, and you know, these promoters. I mean, Vince offered them all opportunities. Those who stuck with him uh, were rewarded pretty handsomely. Also, a lot of those, those old stars from, the, from back in the day, we all know many people didn't see them, but we saw them. These were guys that were working backstage that, you know, Chief Jay Strongbow and Arnold Scullin and, you know, all these other guys, Nick Bockwinkel, uh, especially uh, Gorilla Monsoon. Gino was really close to Vince Sr. and loyal yes. to the day he died. He never wavered. And, for, and, and people that were, you know, that did that with Vince were rewarded for it, and many of them. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, and, and he took care, and and many have been taken care of beyond when he really needed to. Uh, there's, oh, yeah. Certainly, you can talk about things he's done that maybe are in the best light, but the, on the other side of it, the, the part that a lot of people don't hear about is he's taken care of a lot of people that he didn't have to. I mean, Arnold Scolan's wife Betty Scolan is in her nineties, and mm -hmm. up until last year, I saw her every year in the front row at the Hall of Fame. They mm -hmm. always take care of her. Yeah, they always take care of their own. Um, Bill, with the you know, there's the WWE network. There's hundreds of wrestling sites and blogs. Uh, do you pine though? Do you miss those days of the magazine and how it was back in the day? I know you've evolved, but you must miss those days. Oh, I do because that was <laughs> it was like the old uh, hack reporters back then, and I travel even though I. I travel now doing conventions and appearances. Uh, mm. I traveled more often than going into the territories. And these guys were, they became my family. You know, people would say, don't you miss your family when you're away from home? I've got my other family out there. Yeah. I'm with the Von Erich family. I'm with Jim Crockett right now and, and his guys. And there, were, there was always family. And even today, when I travel, there's always that family uh, around. But, of course, I miss the golden days of the magazines. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, right now, Pro Wrestling Illustrated still survives. Fighting Spirit magazine out of England survives, mm -hmm. and uh, I believe that uh, there are one or two magazines in Japan who did more magazines than we did. Uh, yeah. We had we had like twelve, thirteen magazines. Japan was producing double that amount, but I think they're down to like one or two magazines. But yes, I do miss those days, and but um, I find myself. Sometimes starting all over again because yeah, I'll be you back to reinvent re yourself. Yeah, because I'll be backstage at an indie show, yeah. and there might be some indie guys 
who might remember me, but there's some that I, oh, who are you? Oh, magazines? What were, what were those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I still have a presence. I still go to indie yeah. shows. Um, but yeah, I do miss those days. So uh, we were at StarCast uh, outside of Chicago a few months back, and I really I, I didn't get the chance to ask you, and I'm glad I'm getting that opportunity now, um, what your impression was of what you saw there, and where do you see the business heading now? Because uh, we saw some uh, incredible talent there who seem to be taking control of their own destiny, and I I think is good for the business, but I, I'd love to hear what you, your impression of where you see happening now, and where do you see all this heading? Well, obviously, we're talking about Cody, yeah. Young, Young Bucks, Bucks, and maybe even maybe even Chris Jericho. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe even Chris Jericho, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where do I see this going? I see this going to them forming their own company. Um, at one point, and the WWE had a lock on this. TV was the most important thing in the business. Mm -hmm. They proved that social media can draw a full house for you if you promote it correctly. So it's not the TV business model anymore. Um, Well, they also have their own merchandise now. They don't have someone who's... But there's a layer of missing. There's the independence... And then there's WWE. Uh, there's Impact Wrestling. Then there's WWE. Yeah. But there's a layer there that's not filled. <coughs> there's a layer there that's uh, allergies late in the year here. Sorry about that. Uh, but there's a layer that that's not filled. And that layer, I think, is being created by these people. That mm-hmm. is going to be a major force with even a younger demographic uh, and a very hip demographic that uh, that exists and it's a cult. It's a cult of fans that like what that is and they're going to support that. And uh, I see this uh, breaking out everywhere and it's not going to be your WWE fan. It's going to be a certain fan that only likes what this cult is. Yeah. Well, I think all the way around, it's it's going to be good for the business because Very I think helpful. it's going to force the WWE to raise the bar, and it's going to give uh, a lot of these up-and-coming, very talented young people a stage uh, to reach you know levels that maybe we haven't never seen before outside of the the WWE. And uh, oh, you know, Bill, you're you're always uh, evolving. And I know that um, you've uh, reintroduced your podcast. It's uh, the After Chat, and uh, you have a co-host now. And I, I believe that uh, he's been uh, sitting nearby listening to these two, he has. <laughs> these two uh, going through Nolf. history. Josh yeah, he Chernoff. Josh yeah. Chernoff, and I've known Josh since he was about nine years old, but he has uh, quite a history of his own in the business. And would you mind if I put him on for a moment? No, no, I'd love to, I'd love to ask him a few questions. About the new podcast. Hey, Sean. Thanks Josh, for me how on. are you? Good. I'm doing well. Um, you know, I wanted to. I want. You, I, uh, so obviously, you've been a wrestling fan for a long time, but I, I wanted to. Uh, you know, you know, Bill's been at it a while. I wanted to hear about your approach to being a part of this podcast and why you wanted to get involved. Well, I, first of all, the 
it'd be crazy to turn down an opportunity to get to work with somebody like Bill. Um, but for me, it was you know, Bill. Like he said, he's known me since uh, I was nine years old. He moved into my neighborhood. He's now ten. Um, yeah, I'm now ten. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. When Bill puberty dropped early. Yeah. Oh man, it it just it hit like a ton of bricks. Um, <laughs> when Bill uh, first moved to Pennsylvania, um, he moved into my neighborhood, and of course, uh, myself, my brother, and our friends, you know, we were already huge wrestling fans. So when my mom told me, hey, do you know this guy Bill Apter is moving in the neighborhood? We, you know, lost our minds. Um, so we, we were practically there waiting to help him unload his, his furniture. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so um, Bill, you know, all these years later to have this opportunity, he invited me to uh, to do your show. He did it on OneWrestling.com. He would do this, yeah. this, uh, you live. actually approached me about doing the podcast. Right. Well, you, you had me on there and we had a lot of fun. And then I, I kind of said, Hey, you know, we should do a podcast and, and here, well, you can tell your side of it. Well, that, that's basically right. So uh, at that point I said, well, this would be great. I had been doing a uh, podcast with uh, Nick Houseman, uh, right. based upon my book and that ran its course and had a great time with it. And, uh, I said to Josh, well, let's see what we can do if there will be any interest. And he said, do you think you can get some name talent on the show? And I think I blew him away when the first two weeks we had this guy named Hulk Hogan. Then yeah. we had this guy Who? Sting. Yeah, Sting, then uh, Rey Mysterio, uh, Jerry Lawler, Jim Cornette. You know who we haven't had yet? Sean Mooney. Well, and that and that's going to have to change. Put me on the list. Uh, uh-huh. Is 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 that the approach though? To this this new podcast uh, is having guests on, or and and what else is new uh, that folks can look forward to? So I th- well I'll, I'll answer. I, I guess um, I think initially, yeah, that has been every week. Uh, we've had different guests, but um, as somebody had pointed out to Bill at one point, said you know uh, eventually you're going to run out. You start with Hulk Hogan. You know, eventually you're going to run out of these guests. Um, and that's well, I'm Bill over I, 70. I'm 70 in now. So yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's true. That's true. I guess, yeah. well, you know, look, it, it's, uh, it, it, Bill has a pretty deep Rolodex as well. Yeah, and, and hopefully yeah. we'll be able to keep, I still have my original yeah. Rolodex, by the way. Yeah. He's not joking. It, it's, uh, it's no, bad. I believe it. And I've, he's got some great numbers <laughs> in there. I'm sure. Um, but no, I, you know, and that's been, that's been great, uh, for us and for the show. Uh, we are going to try in the future, I think, to do a couple of shows, just the two of us and try and, uh, make sure that people are tuning in for, for what we're providing as well. Uh, and we think that they are, we, you know, we have a, a pretty loyal fan base, uh, which is, you know, not new for Bill, but for me has been just crazy, um, to be able to be a part of this. Uh, yeah, so I think we're for the time being. Yeah, I think we're still sticking with, with we got some great guests lined up, and uh, we're still sticking with that. We we have yeah. to do. Here comes the Mooney. That's right. You got to work on that theme song. Well, you know, and I like the combination though with you, you with the two of you because uh, you know, Josh, you could probably pr- kind of bring this perspective of what fans are are looking. You know, their view today, and of course, uh, Bill has this perspective of of you know, these incredible glory days and how they relate, because that's one thing, Bill, I, I really saw. That's what impressed me when I was at StarCast is uh, being in that green room when we're all in there. And, you know, you talk to these young people and they were they are so respectful of the business. Uh, they are so excited about what's ahead for them. 
And we had all of these other people that were from the the era, like when I was there and before. And it, 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 it was really great because they all had this conversation going and it, there wasn't the separation of years. And I think that this is, uh, this is great. I'll be tuning in to the after chat and it's uh, when does it drop every, what day? Every, every Friday morning, every Friday morning. And of course, I'm sure you can get it. See, on now that's old school platform. broadcasters. When does it air? I say that it, it airs on the pod waves. Yeah. At, you gotta say uh, when it drops. That's that's yeah. The you I say, I, say the, I, I still call it the podways. And Josh, his perspective on the business. He uh, uh, he did. He worked for so many years at Ohio Valley Wrestling. He trained there uh, with Al Snow. Uh, he's done production. He wrestled Rocky Styles, right? Yeah. yeah, he wrestled. So he was in the business for uh, quite a few years, and uh, uh, he's got a really good perspective. Uh, and handle on the past and the current scene as well. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, check it out. It's the after chat every Friday. It drops. And also, really, pick up a copy of Is Wrestling Fixed? I Didn't Know It Was Broken. Uh, where can, where's the best way to get that? Go through uh, Amazon? Where, where else can Am- you get Yeah, that? Amazon, but you can also go to uh, uh, the brick-and-mortar stores like uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, still have them, and uh, uh, then and a lot of people say, "How can I get my book signed? You know, are you appearing right? here?" Yeah. So, I spoke with a producer who used to work for. Do you remember the Mike Douglas show? Oh, of course. Okay, yes. was it for our younger listeners here? It was a variety the show. Cavett, yeah, I was around then. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, I know you were, but for some yeah. of the people, so yeah. he told me. People used to want to get Mike's autograph on the record albums, and he came up with this idea of getting a, a sticker and autographing it, personalizing it to the fan, and they'd send a self-addressed stamped envelope, and Mike Douglas would sign it to that fan. So what I tell people, if they want to get the book and get it autographed, when they get the book, email me at beaptor at onewrestling.com. Show me a picture of you with the book and send me your home address and I will send you an autograph sticker that you can put on the front of the book. All right. Give that email or G, uh, one more time. Uh, be after at onewrestling.com. The number one, not the word. Okay. Awesome. Bill, this has been uh, great. I can't wait to see you again. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to do some things uh, with our favorite network as well, I've done a few things, so you know I know that they've uh, had you step in. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll share a stage. Well, I'd you know, it. I know some. I know some people there. And by the way, now that you mentioned share a stage, I would love to have you. I do a uh, one man show based on the book, and it's different from all the other one man shows. Uh, there's uh, singing involved. There's comedy. There's trivia. Uh, a lot of fan. Uh, uh, I have a task. Singing. I know you like yeah. to sing. All I'm going to tell you about that but it's there's a secret to this one but i'm going to tell you anyway but i have for example i have a taz singlet that i have a contest of how long it takes for a normal human being to get into a taz singlet and i get prizes out but um there's a guy who opens my show uh and i can't tell you who he is under the mask but uh he's uh he wears a mill maskerous mask um he wears an insane clown posse jersey and he comes out rapping a uh, Barry Manilow song um, 
I Can't Smile Without You. And his name is Insane Bill Mascolo, Bill with one L. Okay. And he opens, he opens the show for me. And a lot of people think it's me, but kayfabe. Okay, fine. I won't tell anybody. Yes. All right, Bill. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope I see you soon. Thank you, Sean. See you at the matches. Man, now, I know for a fact when you decided to take a listen to this podcast, you probably went, ah, yeah, well, that'd probably be kind of interesting, but you had no idea, like me. I mean, I knew Bill was really involved in the world of professional wrestling, but I had no idea after reading his book, Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. How many people, uh, how many relationships he had, and all these things happening uh, after he got into this industry uh, as basically a photographer and uh, writing some articles for these wrestling magazines. But, you know, he was there day to day. And the unique uh, opportunity that Bill had is that he could float in between all of these different wrestling alliances, all these different organizations and uh, develop these relationships because he was on the road with these guys. And as he mentioned uh, in our discussion, in our conversation, that um, the respect he had for uh, the people in the industry and the fact that they could trust him. And that's certainly, uh, you know, two big factors that allowed Bill Apter to become this, uh, you know, trusted confidant. And I, I said, you know, he's, uh, you know, chronicled the history, but he's also, you know, I mean, a historian. Uh, he, I, I didn't get to very many of the stories, uh, but there are just so many. And you know he's a guy, man. You sit down at a table with him. It, you could sit there for hours and hours and hours because he's got a story about everybody. So I really want to thank Bill for coming on. And I, I, and I feel so much, uh, you know, kind of enlightened now that I, I just know so much more about him. I had, I really, I didn't have any idea. I had to apologize to him because, you know, like I said, I just thought he was, ah, oh, you knew about these wrestling magazines. I was kind of fascinated by them. You know, the fact that uh, if you remember when you were a kid and you're in the grocery store line and they had those magazines sitting there with the, you know, the guys with the bloody faces and uh, he was the guy doing all that. He was the one capturing these pictures and writing these articles and um, just so many great stories. And, and these people invited them into their lives. Uh, he was, you know, he talked to the story about the, you know, the Von Erichs, which is a great um, story in that book. And, you know, the Andy Kaufman story and, uh, you know, just so much. So uh, check it out. He's got a great podcast, The After Chat, that uh, uh, is on all your platforms out there. So check out the after chat with uh, Bill Apter and his co-host, uh, Josh Chernoff. And uh, as I also mentioned before, uh, we've got our uh, watch along taking place this Sunday. That is uh, November 11th. And I'd love to have you uh, join us. We had a lot of fun with the last one. This time we've uh, ironed out a lot of the kinks. And this one is going to involve a Coliseum Video Super Tape 1 that you guys voted on. And so that's uh, going to be a lot of fun to uh, watch along with you. And remember, you get to ask questions during this thing as you're watching along. And we're going to try something new because I really like this platform that you can actually come on uh, and interact. And we're going to be able to do some, we're going to do some play by play. So if you've like, if you'd like to do that, um, give me a heads up when we get on and um, you know, I'll have you come on. We'll do, do a few minutes, see how it goes, um, see if it works. And then also I'll be giving away prizes. And at the end of it, 
uh, we'll do let people come on live and we'll go back and forth a little interaction there. So got some other great ideas too with uh, some future watch alongs, but I hope you'll join us this Sunday. And all you have to do is go to primetimemooneylive.com. That's primetimemooneylive.com and sign up. Also, I am going to be at WrestleCade. It's happening Thanksgiving week in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at the Benton Convention Center. And what a big event that uh, this has become. And I'm going to be there on Saturday, November 24th. It's a three-day event, but I'll be there on Saturday, November 24th from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. And I'm really hoping you're going to come by uh, for you know pictures and um, also doing some signings there. And you can get tickets to this great event at WrestleCade.com. That's WrestleCade.com. Uh, once again, we you know we've been selling a few T-shirts, so that's kind of cool. If you'd like to check out our collection, uh, go to MooneyTees.com. That's MooneyTees, T's, uh, spelled T-E-E-S, dot com, MooneyTees.com. And, of course, continue to stay in touch via email. You can reach me at PrimetimeMooney at gmail.com. Oh, you guys can hear the beast barking in the background, uh, but he's hungry. So uh, follow uh, follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter uh, at Primetime Mooney, at Primetime Mooney. And uh, great guest next week. Uh, I will we'll release it on Facebook, on our Facebook page, but I'm really looking forward to this one going to give us a new perspective here on PTSM. In the meantime, I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm out. Have a great week.